Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? You guys look amazing. Probably lean over to your neighbor, especially if it's your wife. Say, you look amazing. If it's not your wife, I don't know what to tell you. Say something good, though, okay? I don't know what you say back to your husbands. Husbands already know they look amazing. They don't really care. Uh, They're just glad you're sitting with them, so it's a win. I got to celebrate... 22 years with my wife this last weekend. Yeah. Man, we just got married, I'm telling you. And uh, 22 years later, here we are. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I'm getting ready. You know, you got to get ready for like an anniversary date. And so I'm down at the, the barber shop and I get a phone call from a, a buddy and he's like, uh, 22 years, that's great. And he goes, uh, so what's the secret? What's the secret? You know, and I said, it's getting a haircut. What do you think I'm doing? This is what, get a haircut before you're going to go on a day. That's half of it, right? The truth is there's a lot of secrets. Like if you want a good, strong, healthy marriage, there's a lot of things that you can do to get there. But he actually started me thinking about this question. Like, so what is our secret? Like, why are we so happy after 22 years and four kids and a mortgage and, you know, all the rest, the puppies and the dogs and all those things. What is it that has really solidified our relationship? And later on that evening after dinner, I realized what it was, or at least part of our story, and that's that I have yet to figure her out. But I want to. Like, I really want to. And so every day, it kind of drives me a little further to ask another question, to tell another story, to, to find out who this woman is that God gave me 22 years ago. And I was under no illusions on our wedding day. I knew I couldn't reduce Shannon to a few sentences. She was way more complex than that. That I was going to be in this journey with her for however long God put us together, right? Till death do us part, right? But however long that is, I was gonna be in this journey with her where part of my role as a man was to discover who she is. And not just in a moment, but over seasons of life, because she's changing and I'm changing. And I think that that has become one of the secrets to our marriage. We are madly in love, and it's because we haven't figured each other out yet, but we keep trying. And I want to borrow from that just a little bit and take it to where we're heading this morning, because I feel like the same relationship or maybe the same discipline is possible when it comes to reading the Bible. That if we're not careful, we can become so familiar that we stop asking questions and we stop looking and the stories that we read seem mundane. Stories that were once exciting, right? But I'm convinced also that when it comes to some of those more familiar stories that we have yet to surface everything that is there 
for us. And if we were to ask some questions and if we were to dive a little deeper and spend a little bit more time there, there would be some fruit. There would be a reward. And our passion for the word would grow and so our passion for God would grow. And today we are in the book of Joshua and Pastor Jonathan started us in that last week talking about tearing down the walls of Jericho and that's a fantastic story. Today we move into a new story. It's the story of Rahab. And it's been easy for us to to celebrate the story of Rahab because she's so unique. First of all, she's a woman on the stages of history in a major way. And so there's something interesting there because last I checked, like half the world is filled with women. And so, you know, it's in the Bible too, right? And so we just want to, you know, figure all that stuff out too. So so that's interesting in and of itself. But it's also interesting because this is Israel's moment to enter the land. And we get up for the battle and the walls come down, but interlaced, woven into this whole story of conquest and, and land grabs and whatever else you want to call it, and blood is this incredible story of a woman who is rescued. And we've reduced this story to things that are catchy, right? Like uh, from, from harlot to heroine. But I've become convinced, and I set out this last couple weeks to dive a little bit deeper. And I'm convinced there is more there for us, and I hope you can join me there this morning. I'm convinced of that partly because when we enter Rahab's story, she's already grown, like she's an adult, and all of us know that she didn't begin there. That at one time, Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, was Rahab the little girl who grew up on the streets of Jericho, And she was proud of her culture and proud of her society and her family. In fact, we know that Rahab had a good relationship with her family, even though she was a harlot. That is entirely unusual. But she was proud of these things. She lived in a a place, a region that, um, that allowed for great economic and agricultural prosperity. The walls on her town were thick. The mighty men in her town were renowned. It was her culture, her village that had participated in kicking out the nation of Egypt, the greatest empire the world had ever known up until that point. The people of Canaan, the people of Jericho, participated in kicking them out and taking over that land. She had every reason to be excited about her future. And then, I imagine, At some point, like it happened to any of us, she began to open doors. As she began to ask questions about her future and the possibilities, there were opportunities that were emerging on her horizon, and she began to open doors, some of those doors that she felt maybe someday could never be shut. And we don't know if she opened one door or if she opened a series of doors or doors were opened for her. The point is is that she walked through through, and she walked through eventually into a life of prostitution. It wasn't all bad. She was in the poor part of town, but she was along the wall next to the front gate, and in that place was an inn. She really, she really was not just a prostitute. She was a prostitute 
among other prostitutes, and she was the innkeeper where all of this went down. And that meant something important. It meant that she was valued in her culture. For this reason, not because she was a prostitute, but because she was the leader of the inn, she would receive all the guests from all over the world that would come through Jericho, and she would get pieces, tasty morsels, bits of information that were critical to the success of Jericho. As a result, the king of Jericho knew Rahab by name. They had a relationship because if he was going to be all that kings were supposed to be and defend the city, he needed to know all the news of the day. And Rahab was his in. She had some level of clout, some level of respect as a result. She if nothing else, was valuable to the cause. She was a useful informant. And then one day, Rahab found that there was something she'd never heard of before. There was news that had actually happened before she was probably ever born. But it came to her, it probably came to her in this setting. And it was news that That down in Egypt, that nation that Jericho and the rest of Canaanites had kicked out of the land, that down in Egypt, a new nation had been forged. That nation was worshipers of a God that was foreign to Rahab, God that she didn't know. Familiar name, it was the name El. She also had a God named El in their pantheon. El was the father of Baal. Baal was the worship of the day. Essentially, Baal worship even overtook focus on El. But as she began to learn and ask questions about who this other El was, she realized it was not at all the same God that her people had served. That this El, this God, defined himself and defined himself in entirely new ways. She began to wonder and think new thoughts and realize that there was a other reality separate from the one that she had grown up in. And something began to emerge in her. She began to question. We don't know how this process happened, but in my imagination, just like in your imagination, you've been in that moment where you begin to doubt whether the reality that you once held to is actually benefiting you. Is it real? Is it really where I need to invest? What I need to do? Where I need to work? Who I need to be with? Are these the beliefs that I actually hold? And this news from this new horizon caused her to doubt whether or not everything that she was experiencing was necessary or right or good for her. I don't know if she had access to the book of Numbers. We just preached through Numbers a month or two ago. Maybe you thought Numbers was boring. Many people do. Sometimes you feel like you're trying to squeeze something out of it. Is there any gold in here at all? Not with Rahab. She wouldn't have thought Numbers was boring at all. She would have read every single word with interest. Because what she discovered about the God who had a nation in the wilderness is that nation wasn't just made up of ethnic Jews, but it was one new nation emerging out of nations. 
that there were people from all over Egypt that had come out with Israel into the wilderness. And she learned that out there in the wilderness, they had been unfaithful to their God, even though he had rescued them from slavery. Can you imagine? They had failed to have courage and to live up to what God had provided for them. And so they couldn't enter the land, which is why Rahab had never heard of them before. And yet, as time would have it, here they were, 40 years later. And in there, Rahab realized at some point The miracle even isn't just the Red Sea. I mean, that's a miracle. That's incredible. But a million and a half people in the wilderness preserved for 40 years? Are you kidding me? Who is this God that can do that? But then news reached. Terrifying news. I don't know if it came through her in or if it was just around the area. But the news reached her ears at some point that this God was about to give that nation her land. At this moment, I could imagine Rahab kind of, you know, digging in her heels. A little bit of nationalism here is called for. A little bit of war. I mean, these are my people. And if I'm going to be loyal, if I'm going to be anything in this society, this is my moment to take a stand. This is my moment to go to war, to fight but not Rahab. Rahab heads a different direction. Rahab is curious. I think she has a godly curiosity. She wants to know more. She's not convinced that her reality and her future should be owned by the men in her life. She begins to wonder if there is a way of escape. This God, what she knows is a God of the nations. This God is a God who loves. And I think at some point she looked at the society around her and she saw holes in the armor. She saw holes in the story. I mean, why was it that she could feel love and compassion and mercy, but her gods couldn't? What's up with that? This God in the desert, the wilderness God, this God, clearly was good. In fact, he was essentially good. Everything he did was for their good. And she began to believe that maybe he could be good even to her. But there was terror in the area. Forty years had passed, and Israel had moved into the east side of the region that she dwelled in, her people. On the other side of the Jordan, They hadn't just moved in. They had conquered kingdoms more powerful than Jericho. Kings, stronger, heroic kings. And the people and the men in her life were utterly afraid. In fact, they were losing heart. They didn't know which way was up and which way was down. They had no idea where to turn, which must have been a sign for her, right? That in this moment, The people who had all the power in her life, who controlled her destiny, were absolutely afraid of an army that they had never known, of a God that they had never named. How is that possible? That they, those who should be be protecting her and everybody, were essentially on the run without being on the run. They were terrified, but inside, she was not. Something 
had shifted. And then it happened. Two Israelites appeared on her doorstep. She knew that this was a dangerous moment. To be the valued informant of the king and not to inform the king that spies were being harbored in your house was equivalent to a death wish. It was treason at the highest level. And yet at this point, she has already made the decision to lean into this new emerging horizon in her life. She harbors these Jews and not only harbors them, but goes to bat for them. She hides them upstairs. The king knows they're there. That's the worst case scenario. And the king comes to her and says, where are these Jews? And in this moment, Rahab realizes that the context in which she is living in is no longer safe. And it is the context of war. And there are certain rules for battle. And so she lies to the enemy. In this moment, she makes the decision that there is good and there is evil, and to protect the life of the innocent is always the righteous thing to do. And so she does what needs to be done. She saves their lives. She ties a scarlet cord to the outside of her window, a garland. And this was to be a sign that when Joshua and the army comes in, not to destroy her house or anybody who was residing in it. It was an act of faith as much as it was a symbol of peace. She does what needs to be done. And when Joshua marches his troops around Jericho and the walls fall, her area of the wall did not fall. See, she would have been in an inn on the wall. And everything fell around her except where she was at. She was saved and everybody who was with her was also delivered from the rubble. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? And if you think about it, there's all kinds of things that you might wrestle through or wrestle with as you're investigating this story. How is it that in a pagan culture where this was totally unusual, we have a harlot, but she's trusted by the king? I mean, who does that? It's a little off, and yet it's part of the story. How is it that two spies trust her as well? She's a woman. They were kind of on the level of cattle in that society, in that culture. And yet she has some clout with the citizens and the non-citizens of her town. And she has this interesting location that allows her to hear all the news from the surrounding nations, making her strategic in the story. And it's almost like, she becomes the bigger story within the story. As a kid, I grew up thinking that the story is about the walls that came down. But if you read the rest of Scripture, you hear more about Rahab coming out than the walls coming down. Rahab emerges as this, sure, this heroine, but so much more. She ends up actually becoming the great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. Not only does she rescue herself, but her family, and they live in Israel. So what do we make of this story, this incredible journey that she was on? Well, the Bible actually calls us to investigate a couple particular things about her. First of all, she serves as an illustration, an illustration of the relationship that exists between faith and works. 
whether you're talking about Romans and the Apostle Paul or James and the book of James or Hebrews, you have this idea of Rahab being this illustration of somebody who believed something and then acted on it. Forging this relationship between faith and works that is designed by God to exist. Faith is different than works and works is different than faith. But they were meant to live together in harmony. That they actually produce something when they work together. And it works like this for Rahab, right? She believes something about God. I think that when everyone else was afraid, she saw a God who cared for her people in the wilderness, for his people in the wilderness. She saw a God who was essentially good. And as a result of her belief in that, she comes to faith in him. This is a door she will walk through and it's a door that opens up a whole new world for Rahab. A whole new world of thought and emotion and feeling and desire and dreams and expectations. It was a hope-filled place to live. And when the spies come, she knows what must be done. In this moment, if she believes that God is good and he will rescue her, this is her opportunity to communicate that. She saves the spies because she believes in a God who saves. Her faith ended up in works, and the result, reward. That's always the result. It's, it's fruit in some kind, right? It's peace, it's possession, it's prosperity or blessing, it's assurance, it's conviction in the right direction, it's comfort, it's reward in some form when we pair faith and work together. When those two things come into alignment, it generates something and it moves the hand of God on our behalf. And she then serves as an illustration. She serves, incidentally, alongside Abraham, the patriarch. This is the guy, the dude. He's the guy who had the promises of which all other promises are born from. It's Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He serves as the ultimate illustration of so many things. I mean, if you think about all the major characters of the scripture, there's Abraham and there's Moses and David. But when it comes to the writer of James, James actually says when it comes to the relationship of faith and works, there are really only two to highlight. Two that are necessary, Abraham and the woman Rahab. She's at that level. We should know her story. There she is, somebody who combines those two things and experiences deliverance. But in this story, in this context in Joshua, what really emerges is her courage. Somehow, she lost her fear. Have you ever lost your fear of something before? I can imagine two possible ways that that could work. One way I've lost fear before is through effort, right? I was afraid of something, and then so I went and did it, and then I did it again, and then I got more familiar with it, and as I got more familiar with something, I kind of worked out my fear. And we can, we can understand that that's how children often grow up, right? They were afraid of the dark, and then they just, well, guess what? Every night it's dark, and so over time you become very familiar with it, and if you have some of the right thoughts and you do some of the right things, you can overcome your fear just by working it out. But what Rahab experienced, well, this was a fear that you couldn't just work out. 
the fears that were associated with the people of the land when Israel showed up on their doorstep was a kind of terror that you couldn't work out. But she doesn't experience what the warriors in her town experience. Instead of fear, she experiences peace in the midst of the storm. I believe that she experiences peace in this moment when everybody else is being shaken because somebody bigger than her fear stepped into the room. You know what I mean? Like when your dad shows up at a critical moment and all of a sudden you experience peace because you know it's going to be okay. Or when you're concerned about your marriage relationship and your spouse looks you in the eye over that romantic dinner and says, I want you to know I'm with you to the very end. And all of a sudden, because something larger took place than your fear, it has a way of just causing your fear, your fear to vanish. And I think for Rahab, the thing that stepped into her life, stepped into her room, stepped into her darkness so that she experienced peace was God himself. He shows up in Rahab's life like he shows up in the lives of so many throughout history, but even in the lives of those in this room, possibly somebody that you're sitting next to. He shows up and her fear goes away because she realizes his presence, inviting his presence through faith, allows the things that once controlled her to lose their grip on her life. No longer could these men control her destiny. If God was there and he was good, there was a new destiny and a new future and a peace that prevailed as a result. That's where we find Rahab when the walls of Jericho come down. Her walls had already fallen long before the battle raged. But when we look at these stories, we need to ask the question, well, there's Rahab, and these are the characters, and these are the actors, but this, my friend, is Old Testament narrative. And do you know what that means? That means that the hero of the story are never the characters in the story. The hero of the story in these Old Testament narratives is always God. So what is it that we can learn about God? What is it about this story that shines a light on God in a fresh way? There's one thing that emerges as I was reflecting this week on, its, on this story. It's this, that God is always running toward the darkness. I don't care what your darkness is. I don't care where you've been, what you've touched, what you've taken in, what you've thought, what you've done. Whatever the darkness is, whatever it looks like, what I want you to know and what this story surfaces is that God isn't afraid of your darkness. He wants to move towards your darkness. He's always moving towards the darkness. Some of us grew up in a religious system, even a Christian system that said that God somehow can't ever you know, exist with darkness. But the reality is, is that when he brings the sun to us on earth to show who he really is, the sun makes a beeline for the darkness. In fact, there's a story that is told in the Gospels about this very thing playing itself out on the pages of history. It's a story about the disciples who are with Jesus in a boat. And there's a storm. 
And Jesus does his thing and he calms the storm and he rebukes his disciples. It's a good old fashioned story. But that's really not the goal of the story. The goal of the story, the point, is on the other side of the storm. On the other side of that storm was a land, and in that land was a grave, many graves. And in those graves and among those graves was a man, the demoniac as he is known. And this man, nobody could help. The disciples didn't know what to do because he lived among the graves. To enter that would defile them. The Pharisees didn't know what to do for the same reasons. The Gentiles didn't know what to do. This was Gentile country, the Decapolis, and yet they had no idea how to help this man. Everything that they had tried had utterly failed. He would just break through the chains. And it's in this moment that this radical scene plays itself out where Jesus literally docks the boat and jumps off the boat and begins running toward the man, shouting at the top of his lungs. Read the text, it's there in the Gospel of Mark. And the demoniac essentially does the same thing and turns towards Jesus and begins running at Jesus with his own words. And they run toward each other and they meet. And the demoniac falls down and Jesus meets him in the darkness and delivers him from the demons. He rescues him. He delivers him. Listen, nobody knew what to do with the man. Everybody's religious structure and system prohibited this from taking place. But Jesus broke through the system. Because at the other end of that lake, the other end of that sea, was a man. Rahab is a prime example of the links that God is willing to go through to reach a woman. Forget the whole nation. Yes, he's that big. He loves everybody. He is even willing to move heaven and earth for you because he's always moving towards the darkness. Now, here's what I love about Rahab. Here's what I love about the story of Rahab. And it comes to us at the very last part of the story, verse 25 of chapter 6. Listen to these words. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her. Rahab invites everybody to come to the table, see? They're all spared because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho. And then I love this last phrase. This is how the story ends. The narrative bookends. And she still lives in Israel today. Do you know what that means? That means her identity had radically been altered. She was no longer the little girl from Jericho who grew up to be the prostitute who was now known as Rahab the harlot. Now, now she was Rahab, mother, great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. That's what she will be known as. But it started here. It started with this moment where her whole family is rescued and she is with us to this day. She is with us. She belonged to this new nation with its new found freedom and liberties with its new set of rules, she understood what few do. That when you come to God, everything changes. She received a new direction. She was a new person, 
filled with new hope. This is amazing. It's amazing. But here's what I love about Rahab herself. She led others with her. Listen, she decides that she is going to lead her family and her friends and anybody else to her home to experience the deliverance that only God could provide. She didn't hold on to this light, this good news. I mean, she was the news person. She was the, she was the news lady. And here she is, and she gets the greatest news of all, and she shares it at the risk of her own life. And she shares it with everybody she comes into contact to. Here's the question I want to leave you with. What is it that you are willing to leave behind? And who are you willing to bring with you? Are you with me? This is, this is Rahab, right? She is willing to risk everything for her family, for her culture. That's, this means this. When God brings Israel into the land, he does not do so on genocidal terms. He isn't some bloodthirsty tyrant like the gods of the land. As a matter of fact, he extends the invitation to everybody in the land that they have permission to come out of them, to come out from their people. God is launching an assault against the culture, against a culture that was destructive. But he was not at all launching an assault against people themselves because he loved them. And just like what he had done in Egypt by allowing the nations to come in, he was doing in Jericho by allowing people to come in from every nation. And so what I love about this story is that this is a glimpse, a small glimpse of heaven rejoicing. That when Rahab comes to faith and all those with her come to faith and they become part of Israel's story, heaven rejoices. And this isn't an anomaly. This is the standard. This is the standard that from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, everywhere on earth, people, anyone who wills may come. And Rahab comes. And Rahab experiences then. And everybody with her, what you and I can also experience she experienced an exodus. In fact, Rahab does for Jericho what Moses does for Israel. She is the Moses of Jericho. Incredible story. So where do we go with this? Listen, I don't know where you sit today. I don't know what mood you came in, what darkness you've been involved in this week, maybe even this morning. I don't know if you have put up your own boundaries to God, believing that what you know about him is everything that he is, and you've trapped him in some little box, and maybe this story breaks him out of that box just a little bit more. I don't know what doors you have walked through, what doors you have closed that need to be reopened. But I know this for certain, that this story was written to them, but it was written for us. Rahab's story is our story, isn't it? It's our story. 
It's this coming out of the world. It's this coming out of the realities that once trapped us, that the fear that once held us back, and it's coming into a new place of living, a new alignment, a new way of thinking, a place of liberty and freedom and rest. And I would want that for you here this morning. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to stand. We have the prayer team up here. Worship band is going to lead us. I just want to invite you to that place to worship God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and allow him to show you the way, to show you that door you need to walk through, and then to make that decision this morning. Will you join me? Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.